The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. everyone it's monday february 27th here at 7 30 eastern time we are in the thick of acc basketball but it's almost march and uh speaking of march we have a special guest here tonight uh, we have anish shroff joining us uh, from espn uh, you might know anish uh, he is a commentator for uh, espn he is a play-by-play on radio for the Carolina Panthers radio network. And uh, he's a hometown hero from New Jersey. So we love that Syracuse grad has been announcing in capacities at ESPN since 2008. Uh, Anish, welcome to the Sons of Saturday. How's it going? Loaded question, right? It's a Monday. Uh, We're almost at the end of February, but all things considered, uh, we got a little taste of madness this weekend. And I think we're about to dive in head first. So there was a there was a handful of crazy games on Saturday, but I think uh, I think you might have been on on hand for uh, for the craziest one in Coral Gables. Uh, just reading your tweet, Miami had not lost at home. Miami was in the driver's seat in the ACC, and Miami had won seven in a row. Florida State was eight and twenty entering play, and trailed by twenty five points in the second half, and then you just get back-to-back absolute insanity uh, as as that game closed down. But what was that like uh, down in Coral Gables on Saturday? Quite literally a tale of two halves. So what was interesting, I had done the first Miami-Florida State game in Tallahassee. That was not close. Total blowout. Miami scored 50-some-odd points in the first half. They shot 60% from the field in the first half, Florida State never recovered. So you have that as the backstory. You go through the first 20 minutes, Miami shooting 65%. They can't miss. They're up by 23 at halftime. You know, Jordan Cornette and I are looking at each other. All right, story time in the second half. Where do you want to go? Big picture ACC. Let's talk ACC tournament. We're talking about how are we going to fill the next 20 minutes because this game is out of hand. Uh, And then when you look at where both teams were, Miami came into the game as one of five power five teams, power conference teams, I should say, that had not lost at home. As you mentioned, seven game win streak playing as well as anybody in the conference. And with Virginia losing to BC earlier in the week, it wasn't like Miami was going to overlook Florida State. One, it's a rival. Two, for Miami, it was simple. The calculus going into the game was really arithmetic. If they beat Florida State, and then beat Pittsburgh this Saturday. They win the ACC. They're the number one seed in the ACC tournament. So you factor all those things in, and then you look at Florida State, which yeah, had just been getting beat up of late. Uh, they'd lost four in a row. They'd lost seven of eight. 
The only win in that span was against Louisville. A lot of those games were blowouts. They were banged up. Matthew Cleveland, who ended up hitting the game winner, had missed the last two games with back spasms. We weren't sure if Caleb Mills, their third leading scorer, would even play because he tweaked his knee uh, and then was getting treatment for it during shoot-around. So you got a 23-point game early in the second half. It's a 25-point game. I mean, you're not expecting that, not with where these two teams are, where the game's being played. And then Florida State could not miss. They could not miss. They stopped turning it over. And all of a sudden it was, all right, they got it down below 20. Now it's 15. Now it's 11. Now it's within single digits. And Miami just didn't have an answer. And Florida State kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And at the end, Cleveland, we were right there. As soon as he let it go, we could see the ball, and and you knew it was going in. You know, on that rate of uh, on that rate of madness, I know you've had your fair share of crazy calls. And one of the reasons we actually uh, got connected with you was because we put out our Memory Lane podcast a few weeks ago, and the first one that we did was the uh, the ball on the rim game, Virginia Tech. Oh yeah, UK, you know, in overtime a few years ago. So you know. I, I think uh, if there's a conference for anything to happen, you know, remotely close to this, it is the ACC. But what are some other kind of crazy once in a lifetime that, you know, I guess it's not once in a lifetime when you get to call, you know, multiple events like this. But uh, what other games, I guess, in ACC basketball would you compare to those two, um, you know, referenced? You know, the first one that came to mind, honestly, after that Florida State Miami game, you start going back and I've been covering the ACC for a while it was that Virginia Virginia Tech game at Castle, and the fans stormed the court. Um, I just remember there was the jump stop at the end. The kid made the bucket, and then Virginia had one last chance to win. Uh, wild game, wild game. Th- that was up there. Um, yeah, th- there's been a few. They all kind of blend in, but that one stood out to me. I had a couple of years I was covering the Big Twelve, and I did the game where Marcus Smart pushed a fan, and I remember that turned into a fiasco and we were at the arena for extra two hours after the game doing all these hits on sports center um you know i've done some fun games i've done some buzzer beaters it's been a lot of fun but just the way things unfolded on saturday that one i'm not sure i've called a basketball game quite like that again where it's a rivalry game. There's so much at stake for Miami. Florida State's got nothing to play for. Their season's done. They're all looking ahead to next year, and they come back and they they, they win that game, just another chapter uh, in that rivalry. And, and it's weird. Florida State's won five in a row on Miami's home floor. They've beaten Miami 10 out of 11. Um, but but that one you just didn't see happening. You know That Virginia-Virginia Tech game that you were talking about, uh, Virginia was – a good team, but going into a hostile environment, the fans were charged. That game was close pretty much most of the way. This game was totally out of hand. So just the the surprise factor that that ended up being a game in the second half, uh, and, and recency bias, I'm sure, is at play. Yeah, that probably takes the cake. Yeah, I mean, you take the whole body of work of that game, and, and you're like, I've never seen anything like this. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, you get you get such a swing from both sides. It also was shades of uh, I remember which year national championship, but uh, you know, uh, Carolina hits the three, and then Chris Jenkins hits the three yeah. for Villanova. Yeah, Marcus Page. I remember Marcus Page. If he makes that shot and Carolina wins, we're talking about one of the great shots 
in the history of the NCAA tournament, certainly in the history of the championship game, nobody remembers the shot because of what Chris Jenkins did a few moments after. It is a shame, you know, how athletes have to kind of have that, you know, like I've, I think of so many Virginia Tech moments that happened in losses and no one ever talks about them. Um, right. So, you know, that's funny that you bring that up. Um, but speaking of Virginia Tech, you know, I am. Um, I know that you were definitely on a call for at least one tech game this year, right? Were you, uh, were you in Blacksburg or was it an away game? It was, it was in Blacksburg. It was early in conference play against Clemson. Okay. I, yes, yes. Okay. I, I was watching that game and I was like, all right, we got a niche on the call. Like I'm it was fired an ugly up. game. It was an ugly game. I don't believe Couture played for Virginia tech. And that one too came down to the wire. It was a, I think a couple of possessions decided that game. Yeah, we had a we had a tough time with Clemson uh, at Little John. We had a tough time with Clemson at home as well. And you know, I think um, Tech this year, we definitely you know had had a disappointing start to 2023 with Couture out, and we never really were able to 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 get back to that stride of late 2022. We're you know um, running Dayton out of the gym and you know winning most of our out of conference games, but. Um, what would you say your take is on on tech basketball here? Uh, you know, as we close out the season, you know, a couple of things. One, I don't think you can underestimate the Couture injury, and you know, even when he's been back, it just it, it, something's been lacking. And I'm not saying it's been in his play; he still shot it well. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, the pieces this year just haven't gelled the way they did last year. You know, Bazilli has really had a nice February and then he's been playing well of late, but you know, defensively Kevin Aluma was, was an upgrade. Um, you know, Justin Mutz does everything. He's had a solid season. You know, the one guy who I think has had a real down year is Maddox last year. I want to say he was what North of 50% from three. And, and this year he might be in, in the mid to low thirties, significant drop off. And that three point shot hasn't been consistent it probably boils down to that. Virginia Tech last year was one of the best three-point shooting teams in the conference. This year it's been inconsistent. When they're not making threes, it's tough for them to win. They're not a great defensive team. They need to score. And, and at times this year, that three-point shooting for Virginia Tech just, just hasn't been there. Now, from a talent standpoint and the way the ACC has gone this year, and shoot, you know, we saw what they did in Brooklyn as the uh, seventh seed last year. Um, can they get on a little run if their shots are falling in Greensboro? Uh, the way this year's unfolded, uh, you know, I don't see a reason why not, but they've just lacked consistency. And and I think it, at some point you are what you are, and they are an inconsistent team until proven otherwise. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was even to a point where, you know, um, our only two ACC wins were – Carolina and Duke and we're like what the heck is going on and then you know uh, the third or fourth uh, I don't know which one it was but you know it was Virginia and all of a sudden it was like you know could any team come into Castle Coliseum and be favored against Virginia Tech and you know that Miami game you know came down to the uh, to the wire as well but obviously Miami was the better team that night Um, but yeah you know I agree with you I think it's a a combination of inconsistency and, you know, not as solid defensive play as last year. And then those threes were falling last year. So, um, you know, excited about Rodney Rice. We got to see him play yeah. uh, in, in Cameron on Saturday. So, um, you know, we, we can go up from here. And I think hopefully, you know, uh, once we get Maddox back and 
and uh, you know, we'll see what our, our squad's looking like next year. But yeah, uh, the Rodney Rice thing is interesting because I remember before the Clemson game, and this was early January, maybe uh, the first week of January, they're playing at home against Clemson. But there was chatter then that hey, Rodney Rice might come back. Could mm-hmm. be any game, and and it's been pushed back and pushed back, and y- you wonder. Had he been healthy from the get-go, had he been able to play 25 games this season, are we talking about a, a different story here for Virginia Tech, a different narrative that unfolds uh, just with all the things that you had heard about him coming out of high school? It, it's, you know, that, that's, a, that's certainly a big what-if. I, I, I feel even though he came back, you know, Tech fans haven't even gotten a real sense of what he could be. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean – he hit that one uh, three with the and one, crossed him over and had the nice step back. And, you know, to do that at Cameron Indoor Stadium is pretty good. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what he can do um, moving forward here. But talking about the ACC tournament, you know, it's always so funny going into the ACC tournament, I guess, you know, as of late, because last year um, or even after the, the ACC tournament, um the teams that they got in the NCAA tournament, everyone was saying, well, you know, the league was very much down this year. And of course the ACC showed out very well in the NCAA tournament. Well, There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And the reason is take this year, for example, if Miami and Virginia tech were named, Oh, I don't know, Duke and North Carolina. It, it It's a different conversation. People see Duke and Carolina, maybe not being as good as they normally are. And it's the ACC is down. Nobody wants to give credit to the other schools that have propped up. Take Pitt. Pitt's in first place in the ACC. They were not ranked in the AP poll at any point of the season until today, until this week, the last week of February. Could you imagine if that was Carolina or Duke sitting in first place or near the top of the ACC for most of the season and not being ranked? No. So that's perception. The polls don't matter. It's net rankings. We know that. But that's where the perception plays in of this league not being great, being down. It's when Carolina and Duke aren't Carolina and Duke, and nobody wants to acknowledge what Miami can be, even though we saw what happened on Saturday, what Virginia can be, what some of these other schools, what Pitt can be. Pitt's got grown men. They've got an older starting lineup than the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay, I, that's that's the uh, the fun fact of the day. I didn't know that. I, I was at that Pitt Tech game a few uh, weekends ago, and – they're a fun team and their bench gets into it and, you know, Capel's got them going and it's good to see that he's finally been able to, uh, to do that. So I will be excited to see this Pittsburgh team in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament for the first time. in what seems like a very long time, definitely the first time since the Pittsburgh rebrand, I feel like, you know, the squiggly uh, curse of Pitt is going to look good uh, in the NCAA tournament, but uh, let's turn it over here into some Charlotte themed conversation um you know i think i think one of the uh the best things that charlotte has brought forward here over the past few years speaking of rebrands it's rebranding from the belk bowl to the duke's mayo bowl and i know the charlotte sports foundation does a great job in putting on all of the uh all the events around town in charlotte uh but specifically the duke's mayo bowl you know the mayo bath seeing shane beamer get the mayo bath a few years ago uh it was quite a treat but what was it like being in the booth with golik jr just kind of pigging out having some fun and and just you know bringing a 
a new type of environment um, to a bowl game there. That was the most fun I've ever had calling a football game. And we went into it. It's a funny story. Our producer got COVID about three or four days before the game. So we get a new producer who had not done a college football game all season, had been doing the NBA. He had done college football the year before, but not that season. So he comes in and, you know, our other producer would would usually keep us in check. And Paul Irvin, who's our producer uh, filling in, steps in and says, hey, I'm, I'm dive bombing in. I'm getting caught up to speed. What, what is it that you want to do? And, and our eyes lit up. We're, we're kind of like hyenas, you know, surrounding prey. Oh, oh, you're asking us. All right. So the inmates now have the keys to the asylum and he let us run with it. So we had these wacky ideas and, and part of it stems from, from this. There are so many bowl games. So many of them blend into the ether right? You don't know your Boca Raton Bowl from your Myrtle Beach Bowl from whatever. So many of them are just, they're there, they're on TV, people watch them, they're forgettable. And this was a matchup, which while intriguing, North Carolina, South Carolina, at the end of the day, it was two six and six teams. And what was driving the noise leading up to the bowl game was that the coach at the end of the game, whose team won, would get doused by four gallons of mayonnaise. The challenge for us a couple of days before the broadcast was we found out that the Panthers would not allow the mayo to be dumped on the field. It's artificial turf. They had so many injuries that season to begin with, and you can understand it. I don't know if it's the viscosity of the mayo, whatever (laughs) it might be. They didn't want that getting into their field turf. So – they had to stage the Mayo bath in the tunnel. Logistically for us, that meant the Mayo bath would not be seen live on linear. It would be on the app where the post-game presentation would air. And this is all that anybody's talking about. It's the end game. So our challenge was how do we get people to watch the game when, when all they can do is go to the app at the end and watch the Mayo so we had to create a buildup. We had to kind of make this into a crescendo. Let's let's find some fun stuff that we can do and just kind of build this thing, build this thing. And then in the fourth quarter, we'll really hard sell the Mayo bath and we'll sell it on the app. But let's give people something to hang on to and talk about leading up to that. And so we, we were brainstorming ideas and I just throw, you know, what if we just dipped, uh, you know, different <laughs> foods in Mayo? And then Golic Jr., who was really our, our food connoisseur, and I, and I, and I use the word connoisseur with quotes, um, all season long he had a nose for the worst kind of best food, ice cream, donuts. Uh, the guy's an eater. And, and I used to joke with him, and I've told him this. I said, you, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't grow up lacking. Your dad was a big-time radio host who played in the NFL. You grew up in you know, a nice place in Connecticut. But if you saw the man eat, you would think he's Oliver Twist, and he's, he's never seen a meal. So Golik immediately jumps in and says, well, okay, I want to pick out the food. Great. So he doesn't tell any of us. Before the game, I see him carrying a box of Oreo cookies under his arm, cradling it like a football. And I go, what's that for? And he goes, oh, you just wait. <laughs> and you know the rest. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What, uh, I know you were quoted saying the peanut butter and jelly sandwich held up better than the donut. Does that still uh, hold true today? That still holds true. 
a glazed donut with mayo. It was too many competing flavors, just the, the, the twang of the Dukes, the sugary glaze of the donut. Something didn't mesh. Golik liked it because he eats anything. The Oreo, believe it or not, people think I'm crazy. That's why I dipped the macaroon in this year. People think I'm crazy. The Oreo, when it first hit, and everybody saw my reaction, like, oh, he's going to gag. But then we're off camera, and, I, and I'm telling you the truth. The aftertaste of the Oreo was not bad. It was not bad. And I say that on the air. I said, oh, it actually hits. It, it, it hits late, but it's not terrible. And then this year, it was kind of on me to carry the torch. Golik had left ESPN to you know, do his podcast uh, with Metal Arc. Um, and so I said, all right, I'm going to have to be the guy now who, you know, goes full all in on this. And, and, and we had some fun again this year. So it's, it's, it's a great bowl game. The Charlotte Sports Foundation, Miller Yoho, his team, the, the Dukes folks lean into it. Um, it's just fun. It's just fun. It breaks up the monotony of bowl season when, when so much is the same. You know, I'm sure we get yelled at and our producers get yelled at for some of the stuff that we do. But um, I'm, I'm willing to fall on the sword if I have to, if I can keep doing that bowl game every year. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. You're bringing memorable experiences to all the viewers and also uh, a good reputation for the Charlotte uh, Sports Foundation in the bowl game there. So uh, keep it up. I love it. So uh, we're going to roll into some rapid fire. We got Charlotte and New Jersey rapid fire here. So okay. First thing that comes to mind, feel free to uh, blurt it out. Favorite brewery in the 704? <sighs> Probably Heist. Up in Noda? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Who wins in a fight to the death, Sir Purr or Hugo the Hornet? Sir Purr. Come on, keep pounding. <laughs> Who has the biggest fan base in Charlotte, Clemson, South Carolina, or North Carolina? Ooh. I'd probably say UNC. I'd probably say North Carolina. Unfortunately. Um, on, uh, Anish, I made it out to Coyote Joe's for the first time a few weekends ago. Uh, one, have you ever been? And two, describe it in one word if you have. Dude, I, li- I live in the suburbs. I've got a five-year-old. I'm not making, <laughs> out, I'm not making it out to a place with a, called Coyote Joe's, man. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it a night early. <laughs> so no mechanical bull. Okay. No. What? You, okay. <laughs> wait a minute. So is that – there used to be a place in the epicenter back in the, uh, the pre-kid days – when I lived in Uptown, um, uh, Howl at the Moon. What was it called? What was the Dale Earnhardt Bar? The, the uh, Dale Jr. Bar. And I, they had the Mechanical Bull, which I may or may not have ridden once or twice. I know they had one at, at uh, I think it was Whiskey River. They had a Whiskey River. Bar. Yes, Whiskey River. That was it. Yep. Yeah, the 2016 yeah. Uh, Belk Bowl. We were there. Uh, it's a great time. Yeah. All right, here are the, uh, the Jersey questions. Pork roll or Taylor ham? Neither. Pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is your favorite professional sports team growing up? I see the Expos hat. Yeah, I, was, I just like the hat. I was a Yankees fan. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Yankees fan. Still am. Who are your top three New Jersey athletes of all time? Oh, wow. Top three New Jersey athletes of all time. Well, one, I got to go with Kelly Trapuca, who went to my high school, played for the Charlotte Hornets too, by the way. Bloomfield High School, proud alum. So he's got to be on that list. Uh, I believe Reggie Miller was a New Jersey high school athlete too. And then um, going back in the way back, but <sighs> Ducky Joe Medwick, who's in the baseball hall of fame was another New Jersey 
athlete as well. You know, those guys represented the state pretty well. I, uh, I like to claim Derek Jeter as a New Jersey guy because he was born in Pequonic. I know. He yeah, but he grew up in Michigan. Yeah, Kalamazoo. Yeah. All right. And then uh, these last questions here are our letters from the Lunch Pail submitted uh, from Twitter. So we got Joshua Linville. He says, what was the best game you called in 2022 in any sport? Ooh, um, let me, well, the, the one that comes to mind first is probably the right answer. And that would be App State, Texas A&M, college football. Second weekend of the season, we're down at A&M. At the time, they're a top 10 team. App State goes in and they just beat the snot out of the Aggies. That, what was interesting, if that game had been played out, I don't know, a dozen times, App State probably wins it nine or 10 times. We didn't know. At that point, the season would go the way it ended up going for Texas A&M. Um, but to see what App State did, um, it's just it, it's incredible. Just their history with obviously not just the Michigan win, but you know, this is a program that went to South Carolina, beat the Gamecocks uh, the year before. They beat a ranked Coastal Carolina team at home, and I actually had done both of those games. And then you get them against number six A&M, which was their first win. Um, First win on the road against a ranked team, I believe, or first win against a top 10 team since the Michigan win. Um, that was wild uh, just to see, you know, what App State did in that atmosphere, you know, 100,000 people at, at Aggie Stadium. Um, yeah, that's probably the one that comes to mind first. This episode of the Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by the River Course. And look, we talk about greatness all the time. And when you talk about golf, Pebble Beach, Augusta, Bandon Dunes, dare I say Shinnecock, the river course sits squarely in the middle of this conversation. A top 10 college course in America, according to Golf Digest, and the home for the For Those to Come golf tournament. And look, if you head on down there and you mention Sons of Saturday, we got some hookups for you. 50% off appetizers. Who doesn't like appetizers? 10% off of headwear and apparel at the golf shop. I mean, get yourself a new outfit, feel good, look good, play good. And the cream of the crop, new annual student memberships will receive a free cart fee and new adult memberships will receive a free foursome plus a complimentary lunch. The River Course, unparalleled greatness, unparalleled beauty, nestled right in Southwest Virginia. Hey guys, this is Ali Jennings III, wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. Similar tone question. Uh, Billy Ray Mitchell submitted this. What is your favorite call of all time? Uh, favorite call. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I have one. Um, <laughs> it sounds, sounds weird to say. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have one. Um, I, I try to avoid catchphrases. Um, <laughs> If there is something in there, it would probably be subtle, 
you know, maybe a liner that I threw out there mid-game, a little retort. Um, but I'm not sure I have a favorite call. Well, let's hope that uh, maybe you'll get a favorite call here over the next few years with some Panthers playoff appearances. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, that would that would be something. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I have one. You know, and if I do, I. I probably got to think on that one. So, mm-hmm. um, but but there's nothing off the top of my mind that eh, yeah, I really I really like this. There's calls that I like, but favorite one, yeah, I probably don't. I don't think I have a favorite. No. Yep. Diablo fan account says, "Hey Anish, what was it like to call the Bishop Sycamore game in 2021 as a broadcaster? How do you handle situations like that where everything goes off the rails?" Glad to have you on the pod. Yeah, and, and it, it sounds like I'm avoiding your questions, but there is an ankle bracelet that will go off if I even begin <laughs> to answer that question. Um, <laughs> I cannot touch anything about that broadcast, <laughs> that game, and everything that surrounded it without getting um, – yeah, without, without, without going to timeout. Let's just put it that way. So um, – there is a lot I would love to say about that game. There, there really is, but uh, I, I, I unfortunately can't. Yeah, yeah, you got to use all your timeout credits for the Duke's Mayo game. Every right, game. exactly, exactly. Well, all I'll say is, uh, we'll just say that your answer to that is a bit of a mystery. We'll just say that. <laughs> um, Ishan Lamba says, "Hey Anish, you're one of my biggest inspirations. I wanted to ask what it's like pursuing a job like sports broadcasting." coming from the Indian community into an industry where there are barely any Asians in general and how you've been able to carve your own path? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I would say this one, I was fortunate that I had a lot of parental support and a lot of family support. My dad had a degree in accounting and he uh, never worked a day as an accountant. He was a professional photographer. He followed his dream. My mom always encouraged me. And I've found out that as a went through this journey and, and, and others like, um, you know, the, the fellow had tweeted, you know, it wasn't that way for other Indian Americans where they were restricted in terms of what they could do or what they couldn't do. Um, so for me, I had that opportunity to chase my dream the same way my dad did. Um, and I always just wanted to be the best version of myself, be authentic, be prepared. Um, and, and to me, this isn't a science in terms of what we do, so many play-by-play guys reduce it to a science, and it's this and this. Now, there's a there's a lyricism to it. There's a, a musical movement to it. Your tone, your voice, your words have to capture what's going on in front of you. When you watch a game, it's not a passive experience; it's an active experience. There's emotions. It's this virtual roller coaster without consequences, which is awesome as as a viewer, as as the audience member. And so it's our job as broadcasters to capture that. And, and, and you have to make people feel a certain way when that moment hits. That's so much a part of it. So for me, it was always, you know, kind of finding the art behind how we do this. And, and I'm not saying you can do that in every game, but when the opportunities are there and you can build a moment, that's what you try to do. So for me, the focus was so much on the craft and getting better. Um, probably for good reason and for a good reason I didn't really think about all the cultural touchstones involved until much later. Um, My message since I've been able to get to some important benchmarks and and important career milestones, my message to the South Asian community and the Indian American community uh, has always been to the the parents and the uncles and aunties. I've said, 
Let your kids pursue their dream. You came to America to follow the American dream. It's one of the most successful diasporas in this country. You helped make it that way. Allow your kids that same opportunity. And if they fail, guess what? It's okay. So you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. You don't have to fit into a certain box to be considered successful. You can be a musician. You can be a broadcaster. You can be an artist. You can be an author. Um, you can follow your dream. So I, I preach to you know, that older generation, that parental crowd, and I think it will change when more people my age are getting married, having children, and they'll pass along that vision of an American dream to their kids. I love it. The last question comes here from Sam Jesse. Do you call games differently depending on the crowd environment? I do. Yeah. Um, the crowd is the third microphone or the fourth if you have a sideline reporter. When the crowd is loud, there is nothing that we can say that will say what the crowd says. Uh, you mentioned that Virginia Tech, Virginia game. But one of the things, and when you ask me what's your favorite call, one of the things I remember about that call was once the game ended, I don't think I said a word for 30, 45 seconds because our directors cutting to images of fans jumping out of their seats and rushing the floor and that visual, that cacophony of, of chaos and pandemonium that's all around you, you feel it. What more can I add? Can't add anything. So when you have a great crowd, my message to any young broadcaster out there would be, Shut the hell up. The crowd can say so much, and it makes your job so much easier if you let them. When you try to talk over a crowd, it doesn't work. Because now, as we talked about, you're imposing on the moment. Think about it before a big pitch toward the end of a game, and the crowd's going nuts, and you see the close-up of the pitcher sweating. They cut, cut away to the batter, and he's standing there getting ready. There's no need to say anything. You can see the drama. You can feel the emotion. So when you have a crowd, it allows you to do all that. When you don't have a crowd, which was the case in COVID, you know, that silence, you're not laying out as long as you would. You got to jump back in. You probably have to fill more. You'll still try to not over talk it. But uh, no, if, if there's a great crowd, man, it's to me, oh, you got a great crowd. Perfect. I mean, that's, that's what you want. And, and, for us, it becomes less is more when there's not a crowd and it's quiet and everybody can hear you. Then, yeah, and then you got to chime in a little bit more. So I do call a game differently based on the crowd. Well, Anish, thanks so much for this. This was a ton of fun. I know you've uh, you've been a great inspiration for a lot of young broadcasters out there, but uh, you also have a lot of, of fans here in Hokie Nation. So uh, we just appreciate you, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you in Blacksburg sometime soon. I can't wait. I have uh, loved covering Virginia Tech. I've uh, been up to Blacksburg a number of times. One of my favorite college towns. Great place. Great fan base. Great fan base. To wander, tripping in the sand We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand But I saw you dance like you want to in my head And all that she said